It's not how you start. It's how you finish that matters most. That statement is true in sports, in business, in politics, and in life. It's not so much how you start. It's how you finish that matters the most. The prize is never given to the athlete who's the first one off the blocks. But the prize is given to the athlete who's the first one to cross the finish line. It's not how you start. It's how you finish that matters most. Today we conclude our eight-part sermon series in the book of Judges. Last week we began talking about the most notorious judge in the book. It's a judge that stands taller than all the rest. He's massive, he's mighty, he's macho, (laughs) he's Samson. He's a man of great promise. He's also a man of great problems. He's a great man with great flaws. Like you, like me, there are times in our life when we are great people. And we're great people with great flaws. This morning, I want us to focus on the glimmer of hope that's in the end of Samson's story. Keep in mind, it's not how you start. It's how you finish that matters the most. If you have your Bible, I invite you to take it and turn one more time to the book of Judges. This time, uh, Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 16, excuse me. Judges chapter 16, I want to begin reading at verse 23. I want to conclude at verse 31. Once you find your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Judges chapter 16. I'll begin at verse 23. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw this, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson, entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might. And down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died. And while he lived, then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back, buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 
for some 20 years. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, the preaching, the understanding, the obedience to his perfect word. You may be seated. The story of Samson is a story of a consecutive string of plots of rage and revenge. The Philistines would do something against Samson, and Samson would then do something against the Philistines. The Philistines would do something against him, then then he would respond and retaliate against them. It was a constant flow of rage and revenge. Apparently for Samson, the golden rule had become tarnished. You know the golden rule, don't you? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. (laughs) But for Samson, do unto others before they do it to you. Do unto others even worse than they do unto you. The story is told of Samson that his eyes fell on a Philistine woman. He went back to mom and dad and he said, Mom and dad, I have seen the woman of my dreams. I've got to marry her. Now, mom and dad, they said, now wait a minute. Isn't there someone beautiful that could catch your eye from the nation of Israel? You have taken a Nazarite vow. Why would you go and, and, and try to be married to a Philistine woman? Oh, but Samson insisted. And so the wedding took place. Something at the reception happened that caused Samson to lose his cool. So he stormed out. He stormed out in a fit of rage. When cooler heads prevailed, he went back to get his wife. (laughs) This is what his daddy-in-law said. He said, I thought you hated us so much. I mean, seeing how you stormed out before, I I surely thought that you would never show your face again and that you hated us so much. So I, I gave my daughter, your wife, to your friend in marriage. That's going to make Samson really mad. As I think about the story, I I think to myself, surely he gave the woman to like his best man, right? I mean, he is so upset. And then the father says this, and I'm going to quote him because you're not going to believe it, but he really said this. He said to Samson, I've got a younger daughter. She's more attractive than the other one. (laughs) She's more attractive than the one you actually married. Why don't you just marry her? Samson is so fit to be tied. But no pun intended, he went and found 300 foxes. And when I say foxes, I don't mean fine-looking ladies. I mean real foxes. He found 300 foxes. He put them in 150 pairs. He tied the pairs together tail to tail. He then put a lit torch in the tied tail and let those 300 foxes, 150 pairs, let loose in the vineyard, in the uh, olive grove, in the grain field. You can imagine how much destruction all those foxes and all that fire did to the Philistines. In response, in retaliation, the Philistines went up against the house where Samson's wife and family, including her father, lived, and they set the house on fire, killing everyone in the blaze. Well, Samson is devastated and very angry. He goes down to a cave. We are told the Philistines 
because of what he did with those 300 foxes, the Philistines come to the men of Judah and they say, find Samson, hand him over to us. So 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cave to apprehend Samson. Stop and think about those numbers. 3,000 men of Judah. It's not just that they sent the deacon body. I mean, they sent every able-bodied man. They sent 3,000 men of Judah because they said it's going to take 3,000 in order to subdue that mighty macho man called Samson. He's so strong, he is, he is so uh, uh, rageful that it will take 3,000 of our people just to apprehend him. They took 3,000. They went down, they found him, and Samson was in negotiating spirits. So he said to the men of Judah, his own people, he said, listen, you tie me up with new rope. And you give me over to the Philistines, but you make this one promise to me. You will not kill me. The men of Judah said, fine, we will not kill you, but we will hand you over to the Philistines. Whatever they do is up to them. And I think that Samson probably had a smirk on his face, and he said, I wish they would bring it on. Okay, tie me up. New rope, tied him up. Led him to the Philistine camp. As soon as he got there, Scripture says that he flexed his muscles. I am always jealous of Samson when it comes to that. He flexed his muscles and the new ropes, they snapped like rubber bands. He went and found, the scripture says, a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Now what does that mean? It means that the jawbone of this donkey is not old and brittle. It is not decayed. Now the teeth are not out. The teeth are in there. So he takes the donkey dentures, he wields them in his hand, makes them into a weapon, and he kills a thousand Philistines that day with donkey dentures. I mean, he killed them just by having that fresh jawbone of a donkey. We are told in chapter 16, that Samson went down to Gaza. That's a Philistine town. Apparently he was by himself and apparently he was lonely. So he slept with a prostitute. It's never a good idea. It's never condoned in Scripture. Once again, Samson is throwing all caution to the wind. He's, he's doing whatever he wants to do. He is the one calling the shots. So he sleeps with that prostitute. He's there in what you and I would call a brothel. He's in the house. The Philistines learn that he's there. And so they begin to assemble outside the house. They say uh, at the first break of dawn, when he gets up and leaves the house, we will apprehend him. Now Samson's pretty crafty. About midnight, he gets out of the house, unbeknownst to anybody else. He goes to the city gate of Gaza, a city gate that would have, it would have always been closed because every city gate was always closed every single night. It was bolted shut. It was a massive wooden gate. And what did Samson do? He ripped it off its hinges. He destroyed the bolts. He ripped it off its hinges. He hoisted it over his head. He ran up the hill towards Hebron. He planted in the ground, turned around as if to say to the people of Gaza, aha, I got you. I'm stronger than you. I've outsmarted you. Now, friends, can I just be real honest with you? That when I think about Samson, 
I make this conclusion. Every college football program across America would have uh, coveted after Sampson as an inside linebacker, don't you think? I mean, he would have been a five-star recruit, not going to Kentucky, no, 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 going someplace really big, right? I mean, he would have been a coveted recruit to go play football because he's massive, he's strong, and he shows them once again that he has outsmarted them. His life is a consecutive string of rage and retaliation. Retaliation and rage. It's then in Judges chapter 16, verse 4, that Samson meets Delilah. She is a valley girl. She's a woman from the valley. You always got to be careful of those valley girls. She was delightful. She was deviant. She was Delilah. Ironically, this is the only woman in Samson's life that we know her name. We don't know the name of his mom. We don't know the name of his first wife. We don't know the name of the prostitute. This is the only woman in his life that we know her name. His story is elaborate. There are 96 verses in the, books, in the book of Judges dedicated to telling us the story of Samson. It is only outpaced by the telling of the story of Gideon. And Gideon had 100 verses. Samson has 96. So this is an elaborate story. Delilah is the only woman who is named in the story. He caught the attention of Delilah. Delilah uh, caught his affection. And Delilah was approached by the Philistines, probably because she too was a Philistine. And the ruler said to her, if you discover the secret of Samson's strength, all these rulers each will give you 1,100 silver shekels. She was about to make some bank. She was about to have a payroll. She was about to make a lot of money. And she said, all I've got to do is just tell you the secret to his strength. That's it. You give us that secret and then we will apprehend him and he will be in our custody. So Delilah approached Samson. And she said, my darling. She said, you're so strong. You're so big. You're so good looking. I'm sure she probably began to rub his biceps. And, you know, when a woman rubs a man's biceps, he gets weak in the knees, right? She said, you're so strong. You're so handsome. You're so wonderful. Can you please tell me the secret to your strength? And Samson said, well, if I am tied by seven fresh bowstrings, I'll become as weak as any other man. She said, that's it? He said, that's it. He goes to sleep. She ties him up. I'm assuming that she had given word to the Philistines and they were positioned either right outside the window, maybe even in the dark recesses right behind the curtain of the house. And as soon as Samson is tied up, she wakes him from his slumber. She says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumps up and he snaps those new fresh bowstrings as if they were rubber bands. And as soon as he jumped up and did away with those fresh bowstrings, then all of the Philistines, they saw how quickly he make, made a little use of that. So then they retreated back into the darkness. 
Maybe it was the next night. Delilah approaches Samson. She says, oh, Samson, I think you lied to me last night. Please tell me the secret of your strength. He said, well, it's really not the fresh bow strings. I tell you, it's, it's really new rope. You tie me with new rope and, and I'll become as weak as any other man. As the reader of the text, you already know he's lying. You already know he's not telling her the truth. But somehow, some way, she ties him up. Probably some deviant sexual game they were playing. And so he got tied up. And then because of that, later on, he fell asleep and he still had the rope on him. He was still tied. In the very same way, she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Wake up. He wakes up from his slumber. He snaps the new rope and he's ready to fight. But none of the Philistines come out of the dark. Maybe it's the next night. She comes to him and she says, now, Samson, you've made sport of me twice now. I've asked you on two occasions, the last two evenings, um, what is the secret of your strength? You've given me an answer, but clearly the answer is not right. Will you please tell me what is the secret of your strength? I don't know why you're not telling me the truth. You can trust me. Please tell me. He said, okay, the secret to my strength is in the seven locks of hair on my head. If you weave the seven locks of hair into fabric on a loom and then tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. Now, friends, let me tell you, um, Samson is strong, but I don't know if he's very smart. I mean, he's making all this stuff up as he goes. He's making up all these scenarios. And why in the world he would think of this one? This one sounds painful to me. I mean, the, the ropes and the bowstrings, I understand that. He could snap right out of that. But this one sounds kind of painful. To weave his seven locks of hair into fabric on a loom and tighten it with a pin? Come on, Samson. You've got to be wising up to this woman. But he goes to sleep. She weaves his hair into a loom, tightens it with a pin. And then once again, she wakes him from his slumber. Samson, get up, get up, get up. The Philistines are upon you. And he jumps up. He looses, he lets loose the pin. He pulls his hair out of the fabric. And apparently doesn't hurt him at all. And he's ready to fight. Oh, now, now it's the fourth night. Now, if I was Samson, I think I'd stop spending the night with Delilah. I mean, I'm not the brightest guy. Clearly, Samson's not either. I mean, Samson, just get up out the house. Don't spend the night with this woman. So it's the fourth occasion. And she comes to him and she says, you've got to tell me. Three times you have made fun of me. Three times you've made sport of me. Please tell me. She kept, Scripture says, nagging him. She made him, and I quote, according to Scripture, tired to death. It's at this moment that there's not a man in the house that says amen. All right? No man needs to say amen. But in this story, Delilah keeps nagging him. She keeps wearing him down. She keeps wearing him out. 
She keeps asking and asking and pushing and pushing and prodding and prodding. Eventually, he said, all right, here it is. Here's my secret. It's my hair. Shave all my hair off my head. I'll be as weak as anybody else. Now, that is the truth. And why he told her the truth, I have not the foggiest idea. I mean, Samson, let's stop and revisit your recent past. You've told her three things. She's done all three of those things. Do you think she just might do this fourth thing? Answer, yes, I think she might. But he tells her anyway. You shave my head, for I've taken a Nazarite vow. No razor has ever touched my head. I've been set apart for service of the Lord from birth until death. He goes to sleep. She shaves his head. She wakes him from his slumber. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumps up and he thinks that somehow, some way, he's going to overpower them. Now stop and think about that arrogance. He told her the truth, that the secret was in the hair, and that she shaved it off, and he still thought that he would be able to be strong enough to handle the scenario. So he stands up, and he's ready to fight. The Philistines come out of the dark. They apprehend him. They gouge out his eyes. They enslave him. He goes to prison in the city of Gaza. And there he grinds grain as a slave or a servant. When you get to this part of the story, you think to yourself, boy, this this is an example of somebody who had such promise but so many problems. Samson could conquer the demons on the outside of him, but he couldn't conquer the demon inside him. He could slay those that were around him, but he couldn't slay the sinful man that was inside of him. He could conquer man after man after man. He fell slave to woman after woman after woman, and especially Delilah. I have long been told that when it comes to sin in your life, either you will master it or it will master you. It's inevitable that when it comes to the sin of your life, the sin that you think is secret, the sin you think you can conquer, the sin you think that really is not that big of a deal for you, listen, friend, if you don't master your sin, your sin will master you. It's true for Samson. It's true for every man. It's true for every woman. It's true for every boy. It's true for every girl. I come to this part of the story and I ask maybe an obvious question. And it's so ridiculous, but I've got to ask you this ridiculous, obvious question. And the question is this. Why was Samson so weak? Why was Samson so weak? I guess the obvious answer would be, Well, he had no hair. I mean, that was the source of his strength. It was shaved off of his head, and so he was weak. And I want to contend this morning that it was not the absence of his hair. It was the absence of his holiness. It was not that he didn't have dreadlocks. No, he did not have devotion to the Lord. That's why he was so weak. 
The saddest line of Samson's story comes in chapter 16, verse 20. When the, Samson did not know that the Lord had left him. It's the saddest line of the whole story. Samson did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson was working and living out of his own strength. He was working and living out of his own power. And and the Lord left, and Samson didn't even know it. It's bad enough for the Spirit of the Lord to leave a person. It's even worse for the Spirit of the Lord to leave a person and that person not even know it. Can I ask you it this way? If the Spirit of the Lord left your life, how long would it take for you to notice? If the favor of the Lord was removed from you, how long would it take you to notice? If the strength of God was taken off your life, how long would it take for you to notice? If his favor, if his blessing, if his presence, if his strength was removed from you, how long would it take you to notice? How long would it take you as an individual? How long would it take you as a family? How long would it take a church? How long would it take a denomination? How long would it take an organization? How long would it take for people to realize that the Spirit of the Lord had been removed from them? If God's Spirit was removed from your life, how long would it take for you to notice? How long would you just keep on doing your religious thing? How long would you keep on doing your spiritual activity and not even know there's no power in it? There's no presence of God in it. There's no strength of the Lord Now, some of you right now are pushing back because you're great theologians, and you are pushing back because you say, now, wait a minute, Pastor. The Scripture says that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. And well done, good and faithful theologian. You're right. The Bible does say that repeatedly, especially in the New Testament. We read of those words. But let's just just be reminded that you and I live post-Pentecost, In the book of Acts, when the Spirit of God descended in the form of tongues that were on fire, they rested on every person for every task for all time. So you and I live post-Pentecost, which means that the Spirit of God is upon us. The Spirit of God dwells within us. The Spirit of God empowers us to do everything from preach a sermon to tie our shoes. He empowers us to share the good news of the gospel as well as to sing a song. He empowers us to do all things, and he never leaves us nor forsakes us. But in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would rest on a particular person for a particular task for a particular time. And oftentimes you can read in the Old Testament when that particular person did that particular task at that particular time, then after that was completed, the Spirit would be removed from them and rest on someone else. In the book of Judges, you see this repeatedly, especially with the disobedience of God's people. That where there's a lack of holiness, not a lack of hair, where there's a lack of devotion, not a lack of dreadlocks, where there's a lack of dependency upon the Lord, the Lord removes himself from that person. The saddest line of Samson's story 
is that Samson did not know that the Lord had left him. Ichabod is a funny word. Its meaning is even more bizarre. The word Ichabod means the glory of God is gone. Ichabod could be placed on a banner over Samson's story. Ichabod, the glory of God is gone. And Samson didn't even know it. Samson just thought he could do it in his own power, in his own strength, in his own ability. The Lord left him, and he didn't even know. Why was Samson so weak? It wasn't his lack of hair. It was the lack of his holiness. He was a prisoner. In our passage, um, the people gathered at the temple of Dagon. Dagon was believed to be the father of Baal. And the people gathered there to celebrate that their god, Dagon, had given their enemy, Samson, into their hands. So they called for Samson to be brought out from the prison of Gaza to come there and to perform for them. They laughed at him. They pointed at him. He was blind. He was bald. He was weak. And they were just poking him and prodding him, asking him, entertain for us, dance for us, jump for us, do what we tell you to do. And this one who had been so powerful and so macho was just a portrait of weakness. And in our story, um, what's true for Samson ought to be true for you and for me. To me, this is the greatest takeaway. That when your strength is gone, you've got to lean into the Lord. The glimmer of hope in Samson's life, because it's not how you start, but it's how you end that matters most. The glimmer of hope at the end of Samson's life is that he finally realized that his strength was gone. And his only hope was to lean into the Lord. You say, how do you know that he leaned into the Lord? Because in our passage it says, then Samson prayed. I'm not saying it's the only time Samson prayed in his life. But what I am saying is that the only time recorded in his story that he prayed. There was another occasion when Samson sarcastically called out to God. He had just finished a battle when he had just destroyed hundreds of Philistines. And he said sarcastically to God, God, are you going to give me the victory only to have me die of thirst? Give me something to drink. I don't call that a prayer. I call that sarcasm. When you come to our story... It clearly says, then Samson prayed. It's the only time in his recorded story that he prays. I'm not saying it's the only time he prayed, but I am saying it's the only time in Scripture that we find Samson praying. He got to the realization that he was at the end of his strength. His strength was gone. And the only thing he could do was lean into the Lord. Do you know the truth of that statement in your life? Have you ever had a situation, a scenario, you ever had a problem, a predicament? You've ever had chaos and confusion? You've ever had a, a particular event in your life and, and you realize, my strength is gone. I can't fix this. I, I can't move this mountain. 
I can't heal myself. I can't restore this relationship. I, I can't do anything to, to give the, the right answer here because I don't know what to do. My strength is gone. Do you know what it is to be in a spot where your strength is gone? You've been relying on your own ability. You've been relying on, on what you can do, how you can perform. And you get to the point where you reach the end of your rope and your strength is gone. And the only thing you can do is lean into the Lord. You lean into the Lord in prayer. That's what Samson does. He asked the servant who was holding and guiding him by the hand, please place me in the center of the temple where the two mighty columns are. And the servant led him the scripture says that he leaned against that pillar in prayer. He was leaning against the Lord. With his right hand, he reached out and he felt the right pillar. With his left hand, he reached out and he felt the left pillar. Remember, his eyes are gouged out. He is physically blind, and I would contend he's spiritually blind. He can't see straight, spiritually or physically. And he prays. Lord, remember me. Lord, please, remember me. The one in whom you used to stir, stir me one more time. Lord, remember me. Give me your strength. Let me die with the Philistines. Help me this day. Lord, Remember me. With all his might, he pushed. I contend this morning it's not just his might, but it's the might of God through him. Because he got to the place where his strength was gone, and he leaned into the Lord, and he said, Lord, remember me, help me, uh, empower me, stir me once again. And with his might, he pushed, and the house came down. Scripture says, that when that house fell, there were some 3,000 men and women on the roof. All the rulers of the Philistines were there in and around the temple. And Samson killed more at his death than in his life. His family came to get him. They took his dead body and placed him into a tomb. The tomb of his father, Manoah. We are told that it, it rested there in Zorod Ashtol, which the first time we heard of that place was in the birth narrative of Samson. And it said the spirit of the Lord began to stir that young boy. And he led for some 20 years. I get to the end of Samson's story and I do see hope. The hope is that Samson got to the place where he realized his strength was gone. So he leaned into the Lord. The best thing you can do is you have to realize that your strength is gone. And you have to lean into the Lord. When it comes to your life, the life of your children, the life of your family, when it comes to your employment, when it comes to your health, when it comes to your success, when it comes to your future, you've got to lean into the Lord. It's only there that we find great strength and might. So we lean into him in prayer. But when I get to the end of Samson's story, 
I got to tell you that as I look at Samson, I realize that he is, he's an antithesis of the Messiah. There's some things that he has in common with Jesus, but there are a lot of things that he is the opposite of Jesus. So you get to the end of Samson's story, which is very similar to getting to the end of any of the judges' story, and you realize that there, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did however he saw fit, whatever he saw fit to do. That's what he did. And so he lived however he wanted to. And you get to the end of the story of Samson, and you think to yourself, there's got to be a better judge. There's got to be a greater king. There's got to be a king for God's people. And the king does show up. It's not David or any of the kings of Judah. It is King Jesus. And like Samson, Jesus has a birth announcement. And like Samson, there's a beautiful nativity story of Jesus that's given for us. And like Samson, Jesus prayed at his weakest moment. Do you remember the world's toughest prayer? Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has the cross looming in front of him. He is so, under, oh, so overwhelmed that he sweat, drops of blood falling to the ground. And he said to God the Father, he said, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. He said that not once or twice, but three times. He was furrowing faithfulness into his spirit. He was saying, Father, let your will be done. Remember me when I come to my moment of greatest need. Remember me in this moment of crisis. Remember me at the cross. Like Samson, Jesus prayed. But that's about the end of the comparison. Then you've got the contrast. Unlike Samson, Jesus did not die for revenge. Did you hear what Samson said? Remember me, O Lord, so that I may revenge the Philistines for taking my two eyes. Jesus didn't die for revenge. Jesus died for redemption. It has well been stated that Samson, he committed suicide on that day. Some would say he's a martyr. But he committed suicide on that day. And clearly, God is not telling us, look at Samson and be like him. No, suicide is never the right choice. It's never the right option. Your life is valuable in the sight of God. So Samson is an antithesis. Samson died out of revenge. Jesus died out of redemption. There's also another way that Jesus is unlike Samson. For Samson, he died... And so did many other people. In fact, by his death, he killed more people by his death than any time in his life. Jesus, he died so that many might live. The death of Jesus does not bring your death. The death of Jesus brings your life. You are, 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 are part of the kingdom of God. You are part of, of his kingdom. And by the death of Jesus, you are alive. Jesus is not like Samson. Samson died and killed many people. Jesus died and brought to life many people. There's a third point of antithesis when it comes to Samson. The friends and family took the body of Samson and placed him in a grave. And guess what? His bones are still there. The friends and family of Jesus, they came and took his dead body and put his body in a grave. 
And he stayed there the rest of Friday and all day Saturday, even into the midnight hours of Sunday. But early on Sunday morning, the dead man got up. Early on Sunday morning, he who was dead was raised to life. Jesus, the dead man, became the living Lord and Savior. Jesus came forth from the tomb. He conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. Samson, his body is still in the grave. Jesus, he's alive today. He is risen. So our hope is found in in, in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but we wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock. We stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. You get to the end of Judges, there is no king. Everyone lives how he sees fit. Friend, I came this morning to tell you that there is a king for God's people. His name is not Samson. His name is King Jesus. And we don't live as we see fit. We live as he sees fit. We do his work. We do his will. We do his obedience. He tells us what to do, and we follow out his plan. He is King Jesus, and we live for him. So this morning, if you've never trusted King Jesus, today I implore you to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And like Samson, I try to do my own thing in my own strength. And it never works out. So I surrender my all to you today. And friend, if if you today acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of salvation, and that the only Savior of the universe is Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins and was raised to give you life eternal, then the moment we start singing, I want you to come forward, take one of the ministers by the hand and say, I need that salvation. There may be more than a few people who are here today, and let's just be honest, you are a believer, but like Samson, you're living in your own strength. What do you do when your strength is gone? Because it will let you down. It will evaporate. It will not be sufficient. What happens when your strength is gone? Maybe you're here today and you say, Lord, I've been leaning on my strength and not leaning on you. So maybe you just need to come here and pray. Maybe there's some others of you who just need to come and say, I just want to celebrate that we have a good, righteous king. He's a good judge. He's perfect. And I give him my life, renewed, refreshed. As the Spirit of God leads you, won't you do what King Jesus tells you to do? Heavenly Father, we bow before you. Lord, we give you this moment of invitation. There may be some in need of salvation. There may be others who are relying on their own strength. But Lord, because of the good news of the gospel, um, you help us to lean into you and to find strength beyond strength. So Lord, uh, have your way in this moment of invitation. We ask you to help us to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.